you, you realize the significance of that song is, is not that God would just give himself again, but that God expects his people to give themselves again. And so the ideal of the song, the deeper meaning to me of this song is the ideal. It's not just God is the one that would not leave someone behind, but we are to be people who would not leave anyone behind. God still gives of himself and he gives of himself through you and I, through us. And so I hope as we sing those songs, we don't just celebrate the God who is sacrificial, the, the, the God who gives of himself, the God who loves, but we begin to see that image of God in us. Uh, see, see, who we are <laughs> determines what we do. So, so it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day out there. Uh, I don't think we have any parting gifts today. So guys, you just have to buy something, tell your wife, church didn't give me anything, I'm going to buy a grill or something. Um, who we are determines what we do. So in Father's Day, I, I'm a dad. So when I became a dad, uh, I began to sleep in my recliner on Sunday afternoon watching sports on TV. Is any, any other dads like that, right? I began to tell bad dad jokes. Uh, if anybody asks me if I've got a haircut, I always say, I got them all cut, right? Uh, you know, I begin to use those bad dad jokes. Look at somebody and tell them your best bad dad joke right now. Go ahead, go ahead. Tell them your best dad joke. Yeah, you guys have them. I know you have. David Ross, I know you have some bad dad jokes out there. Don't act like you don't. So, so who we are determines what we do. Um, teachers teach. Uh, sales people sell. Plumbers plumb. Uh, who we are determines what we do. And as the people of God, that should determine how we live our lives. And our identities are formed by our stories. So, so who we are determines what we do, and, and, and then our stories, our framing stories, our histories uh, begin to frame that identity. So, so we're all Americans, and so, so from early on in, in our, our childhood, we, we hear the stories of George Washington, or if you're from Indiana, George Washington. Um, uh, ask me later if you don't understand the joke there. You guys are kind of flat this morning. Is it the rain or is it me? I'm not causing the rain. Don't blame me, okay? Uh, so so we, we see these framing stories, and, you know, there, there's the hard work. As Americans, there's hard work. There's freedom. There's liberty. There, there's, with Abraham Lincoln, there's, there's truth and not being able to tell a lie, honest to Abe, all those kind of things. And so we're framed by those stories. We're, we're framed by our family stories. Uh, my, my dad uh, was, is a unique individual. He's more stubborn than me. And, and you guys are saying, no way, that's not possible. But my dad is a, a kind of a stubborn kind of guy that he, he doesn't ask for help. Uh, you know, he's going to do it on his own. Anybody else like that? And, and so dad, uh, there's a story. Dad ran out of gas five miles from our house. Uh, this was before cell phones, but they still had phones back then. <laughs> and and our, my uncle lived just down the street. My dad walked home. And my uncle's like, why didn't you call me? It's just because my dad's not going to call and ask for help. And so that story kind of frames me a little bit. To, to, you know, my identity is, and my, um, my natural inclination is not to ask for help, right? So our stories frame our identity, and, and our, our identities determines what we do, how we perceive ourselves, how we, how we, who we are. And so we're going to be talking about God's story. See, see, God's story helps us find our identity as the people of God. 
And so as we, as we work through the, the story of God, and, and, and originally I was going to call this series the story of God, but Morgan Freeman has a series on PBS, and I didn't want you guys to get me confused with Morgan Freeman, okay? And so instead of calling it the, the, the story of God, we're going to call it into the flannel graph. Who knows what a flannel graph is? Raise your hand. Who wonders what in the world is he talking about when he talks? When we were kids, Gene, do you still have a flannel graph in your Sunday school class? No, they had these things called flannel boards, and they had these these images that would stick to the board, and you could tell the story. Teachers could tell the story and change out the images. And my my hope was that I could have a flannel graph for this series. I have the board, but none of the figurines. And so maybe next week, you guys you guys are hoping that I can tell this story. Wake up! I'm going to go to sleep. If you guys don't wake up, Amy, are you back there? Come and sing again and see if you can get them woke up. See, Scripture's not a series of isolated events. But, but Scripture is the narrative, is the story of God's love and care and interaction with us, his creation. And, and it's through story that the identity of the people of God is passed on. So, so as you read these stories in, in Genesis, and you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, these are called the book of, books of Moses. And so in these books, are there, there's all sorts of stories. There's some law as well, but there's all sorts of stories, particularly beginning in, in Genesis. There's story after story. And so in these books of Moses, what you find going on here is you find Moses around a campfire in the wilderness with people who had been slaves beginning to unpack to them who they were, your identity. That, 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 that you're not just slaves in Egypt, but you belong to this guy named Abraham that God called out. And, and the story goes back further than that to a God who lovingly creates. And so most people in these groups would not have read this story, but instead they would have gathered around someone and they would have told the story. And the truth is, you know, sometimes we think, well, how, how, does the story lose its value because it's, it's not a written story? The truth is they valued the story more when they had to tell it over and over again than we sometimes do because we have it committed to written word. And so they knew it. it you, you can trust it because it was valuable and important. You can imagine the stories being told in homes in Palestine, in Israel, that, that, that once they've inherited the land, as a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people to do this, that, and they gather their kids around and begin to tell them the story of who you are, that, they, that you belong to God. In exile, when everything's gone wrong and, and there's no longer this nation of Israel, can, can you imagine, imagine them gathering in borrowed homes and once again recounting these stories of the God who has created, the God who has called, the, the God who has placed significance on the people of Israel? Later on, you find these stories being retold in Ephesus and Philippi and Rome and you have these groups of people that are now following this Jewish carpenter. 
and someone's beginning to tell them the story and, and they're trying to make sense of, 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 of why they connect to this ancient story that begins in a garden and ends on a cross. <laughs> so we're going to start with a wilderness story. Isn't it always best to start at the beginning, right? You know, we're, we're going to start at the beginning of the story and you know, imagine, bring the lights down. Samuel. Yeah, go ahead and bring him down. You guys, you guys are going to listen today, okay? Imagine you're sitting and you're around a campfire. You've just come out of captivity. You have this great leader, Moses. You don't know Moses. He's come from the wilderness to lead you. And here's Moses. And he begins to tell you who you are. He says, in the beginning, God. You know, there's other stories of creation. And there's other gods in creation. And, and most of these other stories begin with gods being created. But our story doesn't begin like this. Our story begins with God. That before there was time, there was God. And our God exists outside of time. Anybody out there having trouble imagining that? How are we going to begin to capture the image of this God? He exists outside of time. And the, and the only way that we will is if God reaches out to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. God called the space sky, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may appear. God saw that it was good and said, let the land sprout with vegetation. So, so God created corn. Who likes corn? God created tomatoes. God created trees. God created the weeds that grow in your yard. God created poison ivy. He created wheat, which was gluten-free probably. Barley. Peach and palm trees. God spoke them into existence. Then God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. So God created the sun, the moon, the stars, the Big Dipper, the, the North Star and the Orion's built. What, what you see in the skies when you go out at night, our God spoke it into existence. God said, let the waters swarm with life. So you fishermen out there, 
God made trout and bass and catfish. He made goldfish and he made tuna. He made wells. He made sharks. He made dolphins. All those things God began to speak into existence. Let the skies be filled with birds. And so God created those birds that make those messes on your cars. He created eagles and sparrows, doves, crows, parrots, and bats. God spoke them into existence. God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal. And so God created cows and sheep and elephants and horses and rabbits and camels and leopards and dogs. And I guess he created cats too. And God looked at his creation. And it was good. I love that part of the story. It was beautiful. It was very good. It was excellent. That tells me that, that if God, and, and, I, and I find no other place in Scripture where all of a sudden God says, ah, creation, blah, it's no longer good. But what our God creates is always good. And so there, you know, and, and there's, and I, and I, can I be honest? I don't understand the controversy. So maybe I'm slow. But we're called to care for creation because it's valuable to God and it should matter to us. I, I see nowhere in Scripture where God says, ah, do what you want with creation. But God says, it's good. But he wasn't finished. On the sixth day, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Do you, do you notice the plural there? They will reign over creation. So God created man and woman in his own image. Then God blessed them. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all this work of creation. Now, now to understand this story, we, we need to have the context of the other stories. And I'm not going to try to give you all the other stories to give us a context, but there were all sorts of other creation accounts, competing accounts. There, there were stories from Egypt, and, and then later there were stories from Babylon when they were in captivity. And, and these ancient stories always spoke about violence among the gods. It was always creation was this, this place of conflict, and humanity was not lovingly created, but humanity in, in almost all of these stories were slaves of the gods. They, they were called to do strange things. And creation and humanity was caught up in this warfare between the gods. You know, we have other alternative creation stories now, right? We have stories of creation without a God. That, that, that creation is accidental or random. That, that we are accidents of nature. That we are flukes. That we are castaways in time. That there's really no purpose. That there's no order. That we're hopeless. That we're beat around by the winds of chance and chaos. 
pawns, meaningless, valueless, but not this story, not our story. In our story, our God is the God of order, not chaos. As a matter of fact, the underlying theme of the story is our God is moving chaos to order. There's beauty in our story. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1 of Genesis, Genesis 1, it's commonly referred to as a creation poem because that's the structure of the narrative. It's a poem. And when God begins to speak to his people, he speaks in a poem. That always moves me. When Jesus begins his ministry, what's he do? He begins with his first sermon with a poem we call the Beatitudes. That God has the heart of a poet. And when God sees his creation, it moves him with this art of poetry, which is an art of emotion and love. There's a beautiful structure in the story. In day, day one, there's day and night. In day four, there's heavenly lights. In day two, there's sea and sky. In day five, there's fishes and birds. In day three, there's land and plants. In day six, there's animals and humanity. There's beauty and order. There's not only beauty and order, there's built into the story. There's relationship and hospitality. We see not just God the Father at work, but we see all three members of the Trinity at work in creation. That, that tr- the creation account is a communal account. It's the account of God the Father speaking the word, which is Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God hovering over the expanse. God says, let us, say that with me, let us make man in our image. See, there's relationship built into the story. Chapter 2, some suggest that perhaps chapter 2 is the older creation story. And in chapter 2, the focus is not so much on, on the rest of creation, but the focus is on the creation of man and woman. And in chapter 2, the importance of relationships is, is so prevalent. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then God planted a garden in the east of Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. There's that special touch. God speaks creation, but with humanity there is this special touch, this breathing of the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. You know, there's a sanctity to life, right? We value and affirm life, all life. We value, or I value, and I believe many of you do as well, we value life in the womb, and we value life outside the womb. That that, that we believe that every life matters. Today at St. Mary's, as they conclude the camp meeting at 4 p.m., they're having a Sanctity of Life um, Sunday, and they're having a a, a lady who, um, Melissa Olden, I believe is her name, who had survived a saline abortion. 
and she's going to speak. And, 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 but they're also celebrating not just, just the sanctity of life in the womb, but the sanctity of all of life. That, that, that as God's people, we are called, as the song says, to father the orphan, <laughs> to care for the less fortunate, to, to run to those on the margins. All life is sacred. And God speaks of this sanctity. Then there's this place of hospitality, this place of welcome, Eden. And, and in this place of hospitality, there is vocation, not vacation, vocation. You guys thought I said vacation. Somebody laugh. You're making me feel really bad today. I'm going to go to my office and cry. And purpose. Creation's not a resource to simply be mined and abused, but creation is a beautiful gift from our Heavenly Father for us to enjoy and care for. And there is this unique partnership created between humanity and God for the care of His creation. But God's desire is more than just me and Him. It's, it's, it's more than just this solitary thing. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And all the wives said, amen, right? I will make a helper who is just right for him. Think about the gravity of that statement just for a second. Perfection. Before the fall, before any sin had come into the world, Adam and God are fully in relationship. There's no no breach in their relationship. And God says, it's not good. See, we need each other. That there is a need, as Amy's talked about, and as we're trying to figure out who we are in a church, as a church and where we're going, there is a need for together. That when it's all about our own agendas and there's no we in our agendas, somehow we miss God's plan for us. He uses the word helper. And in this word, it's not a secondary figure but it's a partner word. As a matter of fact, elsewhere in the scripture, this this word that's used for Eve, for woman, this word helper is used for God himself. (laughs) The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. The Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and made woman from the rib and brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So we have this first marriage, this first union. And it's this important theme throughout this ideal of marriage that it carries on through the end that, that, that we are Christ's bride that, that there's this marriage at the end where we are, we are united with God our Father through Jesus Christ the Son 
you know, things to observe in this, in this first account. The man leaves the home, not the woman. And so this whole idea that, that somehow in the Bible you find some sexist God that, that holds women in a lesser role than men is completely contrary to the spirit of Scripture. See, relationship is the foundation of creation. And since creation flows from a person, not an event, our quest is not simply to find the mean of existence, but to experience the relationship creation invites. In other words, we're not just simply trying to find the meaning of life. We're searching for the relationship, the person, the God who created life. Relationship and love are the purpose of creation. Relationship and partnership with God. We're not simply vassals. We're not simply pawns in his plan. But God invites us to this place of meaningful partnership with him. And relationship with each other. Only, we're only complete when we are connected to others. This isn't about me and God. This is about me and God and you and me. It's horizontal and it's vertical. I've been inviting, and I'd encourage you to do this as well. It's, it's, a, it's a popular um, business book called Start With Why. Um, Simon Sinek is the, is the, is the writer. And uh, he's got a TED Talk. Anybody ever listen to TED Talks? And it's on TED.com. It's called, I, I, look up Simon Sinek. I, I think the TED Talk's called something to the effect, Why Companies Succeed. And his book is start with why, and, the, and, and, and he talks about companies that begin with this question, why. They don't start with what and how, but they start with why. And you can, you can watch, and this is great, isn't it better to watch an 18-minute TED Talk than read a book, okay? You can, you can listen to this 18-minute TED Talk, and you'll get the, the ideal of the book. And I'd encourage you to read it. And I've encouraged our staff, and our staff has watched the TED Talk and on our board, and we'll probably have more of a conversation about this when we meet this, this week. And this whole idea of why. What, what, what is our why as a church, and this past week at District Assembly, as, as our, our good general superintendent was talking, I think maybe the better question is, what's God's why for us? <laughs> what, what's God's intention for the church? See, it goes beyond our agendas, amen? Let's try that again, amen? amen. It goes beyond our agendas. And my desire as your pastor and your church board's desire, I, I think I can say this for our church board, our desire is not to have our own agenda, but we want God's agenda. We want God's why for our church. And, and I fully believe that when we find God's why and when we live God's why, that everything else kind of works its way out. What is God's why for our church? Well, I, I know this relationship and love are the why of creation. That, that, that when you look at why God created, 
It was all about relationship and love. And I think somehow those themes are important to us as the body of Christ. You have the great command, love God with your entire mind and body and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You see both, both parts, the vertical and the horizontal. And, and, and as I, I think about last week, as, as we gathered as the body united at the high school, uh, I got to tell you, I, I, I've heard more positive from that than, than any Sunday I remember. As we gathered together and worshiped, I, I sensed the presence of God in that place. And we celebrated with other church bodies and other church communities. I think God is trying to do, God is desperately trying to send revival to Marysville, and he's doing it through a united church. You know, there's differences. You know, we, we have different ways of doing things, and they have different perspectives, but, but, but I think there's things we can unite on as well. We, we met this week, and the Presbyterian pastor said that his church was in shock from the worship that they had to have just a solid week of Beethoven. And uh, uh, so, so <laughs> you know, we're different. We have different ways of doing things. But somehow, love, <laughs> I feel like Sonny and Cher, love will bring us together. I wasn't Sonny, whoever it was. Love is the point. And that somehow as we love each other and we love our neighbor as ourself, God can do the work we can't do. Can I tell you, I just had a conversation this week with somebody and we were talking about, you know, hot button issues. You know, having a good dialogue over hot button issues. And the problem is when you have a hot button issue that the starting point of the conversation is the hot button, Right? So here's my view and your view, and we start from there, and then we try to work here. But always at the beginning point is this ideal of my view, and sometimes we become cemented in our view, right? But when the beginning point is love and hearing, then even hot-button topics can be handled in a different way. You, you may not believe this, but, but my boys... They, they all have different perspectives on things than Terry and I. I know. I, know. I, thought, I raised you in the home. How come you don't just think just like I think? But they don't. But, but the truth is, I know them and I love them. And even in conversations when they have a different opinion on things, it never turns ugly because I know them and I love them. And I think that's the beauty of what Jesus is inviting us to in loving our neighbors. If we can begin our conversations with love, then we can have meaningful conversations through love that leads us to where God wants to take us. So how are you doing in loving your neighbor? I told you I'd bring it up again. Are you moving from stranger to relationship? Are, are, you, are you taking little baby steps or are you listening to the voice of God? Are you listening to who God's calling, uh, calling out to you? Are, are you looking for the seekers in your neighborhood? And then we have the seventh day, which is rest, peace, shalom. All is right. See, the Sabbath day is an invitation to cease our feverish activity of self-securing, to recognize that life comes to us as a sheer gift and not through our own efforts. To take a day of rest is to resist the internal forces that drive us to assert ourselves through our activity. 
It's to refuse to conform to the restlessness of the culture we find ourselves in, to cease our tireless striving to reshape the world in our own image. We declare that we trust in this God who is confident enough to rest. We trust God to provide what we need for life. We trust God to give us shalom, the peace we long for in our lives. Is this your framing story? (laughs) See, it invites us to find our significance, rest, purpose, and relationship within the God of order, peace, beauty, and shalom. Maybe this morning you feel like your life is, is formless and empty, but our God is still the God who creates, even today. Maybe you feel like you're adrift with no purpose and and God invites us to find purpose in our relationship with him. Maybe you feel like you've been beat around by chance, but God invites you to his created order. Maybe you feel like your value is based on production and gain, what you can grab, and and God invites you to his rest, his, his peace. What is your why See, it all comes back to relationship. It's not about jobs. It's it's not about money. It's not about possessions. It's not about power. It's not about religion. It's not about simply being moral. But it's about relationship with God and relationship with others. My mom would always sing a song called Born to Serve the Lord. And it 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 would go like this, from the dust of the earth... God created man. His breath made man a living soul. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and that is why I love him so. I was made in his likeness, created his image, for I was born to serve the Lord. And I can't deny him. I'll always walk beside him, for I was born to serve the Lord. <laughs> you know, I love songs, how they'll They'll do that. They'll, 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 they'll hammer the point home. And I love that we're still writing songs that do that. <laughs> that, that, that God's not finished with songwriters and poets. And, and you hear it in the new songs, and there's still amazing songs being written. I, I love what the hymn writer says. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by tri- trade, to write the love of God would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole... The stretch from sky to sky. That, that means our God has been writing his love into the fabric of, of creation from Genesis 1, and he's still writing through poets of his love for humanity. Chris Tomlin has these amazing worship songs, and, 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 and one of his most recent ones is Good, Good Father. And I got to tell you, some of these songs, I, I can't even hear without beginning to cry just a little bit of the song. Just, just the melody line will begin to move my soul because I know what's coming. Tomlin writes, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night. And you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. He says, it's love so undeniable, I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable, I can hardly think. And you call me deeper still into love, love, love. You were created, 
you were lovingly created to be loved and to love. Loved by God and loving him back. Loved by others and loving them back. Are you loving like God wants you to love? We're going to close with communion. Hey, Josh, can you get me some Kleenexes so I don't melt up here? Don't you hate it when pastors get like this? I do. I tell you what, if I, if I could just preach and not do this, I'd be so happy. We're closed with communion. I, and, and, and the other word we use for communion is the Lord's Supper. <laughs> and so, uh, thank you, Amy. I think of the ideal of supper. When I was growing up, we didn't have family dinners. We had family suppers, right? <laughs> Anybody else like that? Supper's different. Now, now, maybe in your context, dinner was like that. But for us, we had suppers. And suppers meant we spent time together. And so when we use that phrase, the Lord's Supper, I think of together. I looked up the definition of, of communion. Of course, it talks about the sacrament we're about to receive. But then I looked up other definitions. Sharing of thoughts or emotions. Intimate communication. The act of sharing, holding in common, participation. See, communion is a relationship sacrament. It can be taken in a solitary form, but it's best in community. Have you received what God has to offer? Have you settled for less? Maybe you've settled, and I've went too long today, I'm sorry. Maybe you've settled for a form of religion instead of this intimate relationship that God offers. Maybe you've heard the story, but, 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 but for some reason, you, you've never come into this relationship with him. See, the truth is, even today, even today, our God stands here willing, able to receive you into relationship with him. So I'm going to say a short prayer before we receive. We're going to be dismissed from the back. Josh is going to dismiss. And, and then I, I ask you just hold the communion cups and then I'll do a prayer with you be, before we receive it. Uh, but, but right now, may, maybe you want to examine your own hearts. Take a minute. Take 30 seconds. And this is for all of us as we pray together. Um, you don't have to do this out loud, but, but I think it's okay for even believers to pray this way. Um, pray with me if you will. Lord God, I love you. I want to know you more. Lord, I'm not content with the past, but Lord, I'm going to run strong after you. Lord, if there's anything in my life that's a barrier to you reveal it and Lord may I be may I, may I confess and allow you to restore me